Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast. This is a weekly conversation with MedTech leaders who have succeeded in Latin America. Today's guest is Rangopal Rao. Ram is a serial entrepreneur with 25 years of experience in the ophthalmic pharmaceutical and device industry. Rangopal is inventor, founder, and chief executive officer of LensGeng Inc., a clinical stage medical device company that is developing a novel intraocular lens for presbyopia. The company has received support from one of the largest medical device companies in the world, and this led to LensGen closing a $28 million Series A financing in May 2018. Ram, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for those kind words. Well, Ram, I am mindful of your time. I know you're probably a busy person. <laughs> so um, i like to start asking you, did you receive the email that I sent you with some of the context, my background, and the questions that I have for you today? Yeah, I had a time, okay. time to review it. It's fine. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay. So the spirit is really to get your thoughts on this apparent trend about the EU MDR and how that may be shifting the commercialization strategies of medical device companies, especially smaller medical device companies. They may be looking to other markets as an alternative to the European market. The U.S. certainly is a market that a lot of companies are addressing first before Europe. But there may be other markets like Asia, Latin America, the Middle East. And Latin America represents a sizable, untapped market for many companies because of this EUMDR situation that will come into effect around 2020, May 2020, they may be looking at Latin America with another set of eyes. So I just wanted to get general thoughts on the trend. Uh, I also wanted to get your thoughts on Latin America. What do you think about the, the region, its market potential, et cetera? Okay. There's a lot to talk about. I think the first uh, stratification of thinking is whether your device is reimbursed by government or is it a private pay. That's the most important question you have to resolve. And mm -hmm. your strategy is going to be different if it is a reimbursed product versus if it is a private pay product, right? And so they don't follow the exactly same strategy. They're going to have a different strategy. So I'll deal with the first, the private pay product. Take a look at the private pay product. Generally in the U.S. is the better market for it because more people are willing to pay out of their pocket for a product. I'll give an example, which would be the premium IOLs, for example. Just an IOL which just doesn't correct cataract, but it corrects presbyopia, corrects astigmatism, and it can be um, implanted with the assistance of a femtosecond laser. So some of those aspects of it give you more accuracy and more stability of any one of those aspects are private pay. And the U.S. market is more open, it's a wealthier market in general. People uh, like to pay out of their pocket more people, and they like to pay more for each device. They can afford it. And, and so for a private pay kind of a product, U.S. is the market. You want to go first. In fact, if you look at the Latin American market, like uh, some of the Asian market too, in fact, they've been private pay for a long time. The two layers of medicine there. Um, the reimbursed part of the medicine, social medicine, generally tends to be the poorest component of the market, and they really don't go for any product which has more functionality. And most of the middle class in um, upper middle class 
in Latin America or places like India and other Asian countries. They've been private paying anyway for most of the, even for standard cataract surgery. An mm. average middle-class person in Latin America, they don't go to um, reimburse medicine, but they go to a private clinic. And they can afford to pay because what they have to pay is not as expensive as it is in Europe or in, in the U.S., right? And so they've been private pay medicine already there for longer than in the U.S., but most of the private pay component of the Asian or uh, Latin American market, mostly they will follow U.S. private pay market. They mm-hmm. normally consume products which have a good reputation in the U.S. or approved by FDA. And if you try to take a product without getting it approved, a private pay product, and try to sell it in um, Latin America, it's somewhat more difficult. Not that you won't have a market, but it's somewhat more difficult because some of the upper end of the surgeons from Latin America or or places like India, Thailand, or wherever, Indonesia, they all come to U.S. They all follow U.S. surgeons. They're educated in the U.S. or Europe, and they like products which their colleagues are using them in the U.S. and Europe. Mm -hmm. So you have that marketing issue to address. And, And so if you were trying to take a product which is not approved in U.S. or Europe, and but you know only going after the Latin American market, there would be more resistance, right? You have to consider that as a, an important factor. So that's one. And if you're now t- talking about products which are reimbursed by social medicine or insurance, private insurance, it's a slightly different ballgame there. There the markets are bigger, larger. And, of course, the margins would be less. There would be a lot more competition. And also in Latin America, when I was selling products there or places like most of the countries in Asia, there is definitely very price-sensitive markets. And so you have to make sure your pricing is correct. And in terms of if I have a product, it's a reimbursed product, and I choose not to go through FDA, but I chose to go through European approval and then start marketing that product in Europe and Latin America and Asia. Then one of the things, important consideration for me is what's the pricing for the product? If I establish a low price for that product, I cannot later get a higher price in Europe. Uh, in, in the U.S. Hmm, good it's point. All right. And the part B of that is if your reputation for that product is bad in Europe for whatever reasons or in Asia, then that will cast a pretty long shadow on the success of that product in the U.S. So you have to be extremely aware of it. What that means as a strategy for the company is you don't want to be launching these products which are not approved in the U.S. but maybe approved in um, Latin America or approved in Europe. And so you're going to approve in those markets. You should do a a very good launch of that product, not something half-hearted. You should guarantee your reputation is good, your branding is right, pricing is right, and the international community are saying really great things about it. And you have to manage the politics. 
I've seen cases where products uh, were launched in Europe in a very half-hearted way. They didn't really take them seriously. They thought of it always a nice source of revenue and we'll have either distributor manage it. Uh, they didn't do a good marketing and um, good PR associated with it. Didn't have enough people on the ground. Some people have gone to um, Korea and uh, Japan. And uh, in Korea and Japan, you have the uh, you can completely uh, bypass a regulatory process because their surgeons can buy a product, and they are then implanting that product into the patients at their own risk. So some companies have done that. They've gone to um, uh, Japan because it's a very good market because pricing is very good in Japan relative to anywhere in the world. And um, they went directly to handful of surgeons. And sometimes they got good reputations. Sometimes they got bad reputations. And that bad reputations haunted them sure. subsequently. And they mm. launched the same product years later after the FDA approval in the U.S. They didn't have much of a success. So it's the question of how you value strategize and how will you manage, and oh, how sir. much of a how much of a capital do you commit to mm -hmm. do excellent marketing? Going back to the issue of EUMDR, has it affected your company in any way? Well, it, it, when I started this company um, and about two years ago, when we raised a significant amount of capital. We articulated a strategy to investors that basically said, you know, we will we will go through the traditional route of getting approval in Europe first and and doing a soft launch in Europe because that's faster at that time. Plus, that gives you some experience with the product, mm -hmm. the real world experience, and leverage that to get the FDA approval later. Hmm. And but. But after we got funded, um, the very first board meeting, we decided to go the opposite way. Oh. Hmm. We said, no, we, we didn't think getting the um, European approval uh, is going to give us any value add for the company. Hmm. Hmm. And unless you, you're seriously thinking of launching that product, tremendous amount of a commitment Yes. Not as an afterthought, and mm. and to really properly uh, have a lot of people on the ground there do very proper launch, and manage all the politics in Europe between the various countries, uh, then you're not going to get the beneficial effect of it. Mm. And so we decided we don't want to do that, and so we went uh, right after the FDA approval, and Excellent. that's the current thinking, by the way. I mean, that's a general consensus. In the industry or your current thinking? No, it's a general, general consensus in the industry. Okay. We might have been one of the first companies to follow that uh, uh, idea, and but now I see a lot of people are doing the same thing, what we did. Hmm. And in fact, not only that, you know, I, and I advised a couple of European device companies, um, and it is, even these European companies are now thinking more of going to FDA first. Yes, that's what I've been gathering from all the interviews that I've done in the past month. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that current thinking is, of course, based uh, on the amount of uncertainty that is there with the MDR. 
I mean, I think from a corporate perspective, we really don't care how high and how complex the regulatory path is, as long as it is known and understood, we can plan for it. I mean, in, investors will also look from the same point, and he said, "Okay, this is a very complex process. takes multiple years, uh, takes very large clinical study, and but there's no uncertainty in the path. Everything is known." So it's only a question of how many dollars and how much time need to be committed for that. But at the end, you're going to get a success, a known success. But when the, when the regulatory path is uncertain and arbitrary, um, nobody knows who's making the decision and what basis they make the decision. And, and that will affect you, whether you may need more capital, more time. That uncertainty basically makes spooks the investors. They don't like to see that. Ram, what about clinical trials? Because now the companies are more focused on entering the U.S. market first. Do you think they're going to start doing more first-in-man clinical trials closer to home, like in Latin America? Because before, you companies were doing a lot of clinical trials in Poland and Germany, et cetera, because they wanted to have a, a foothold in that market eventually. But the first in man um, work was, was uh, Poland was a big name in the first in man world. But um, do you see a trend coming to Latin America because of yes. this U.S. Yes. focus? Oh. Yeah, most people, um, if the company is based in the U.S., they'll go to Latin America. Excellent. Hmm. Okay, because Latin America, you have certain advantages. In Poland, um, the language is a difficulty. Yes. Hmm. And in the Latin America, language is not a difficulty. Yeah. And you have a lot of U.S. trained physicians living in Latin America or coming back to Latin America. Exactly. And they have a very good reputations in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, they sit on general uh, journals and the associations yeah. and their, their movers and shakers are... Yeah. And um, so, you know, people like Ruiz, for example, Baracare, and in Argentina, uh, Roberto, um, uh, these people are extremely, in Brazil, there are a couple of surgeons, Rubin and all these people, they're well known, and um, they have excellent friendships with the, some of the famous opinion leaders in the U.S. and all that. And then mm. also there's a cost factor. Yeah. Travel and all those things are a lot easier. Same time zone as well. Same time zone most of the time. So there's a lot of advantages. Uh, I've done most of my clinical trials, first in man and following all the pilots in Mexico. Oh. Hmm. And the Mexican regulatory path is also slightly shorter than Brazil. I've done in Panama. Oh, really? Hmm. Yes. Hmm. And Panama is a very nice place because there's no regulatory barriers at all. <laughs> yeah. And I have done in the Caribbean. Dominican Republic? Yeah. Some companies, European companies, uh, prefer to go to India. Mm. That's for them is closer distance. And the language is not an issue because all yeah. the business in India is done in uh, English. Sure. And price? Uh, yeah, price is good. And most of the... Um, Surgeons are well-trained in the U.S. or in Europe. Yeah, or in the U.K., yeah. And volume as well, patient volume. 
Yeah, pressure volume is very good. I did a, a phase three trial in India hmm. for a drug and the amazing enrollments there. Yeah, hmm. so I expanded it to almost dozen sites in India. Wow. And I had 20 sites in the U.S. for that study. In addition to that, 10, 10 dozen in, in India, I had 20 in the U.S. And the 20 sites in the U.S. were enrollments were less than half of Wow, impressive. Have you ever thought about Colombia as a first human destination? I did, but I was told that the regulatory process is now a little harsher and longer. Almost hmm. six months, I heard. Wow. Now, that's odd that somebody taught you that. Because yeah. uh, in my experience, well, we started as a first in human contract research organization helping U.S. companies do their clinical work in Colombia. And mm -hmm. actually, the regulatory pathway in Colombia is only one month, 30 days at the, at the national regulatory agency at the Ministry of Health. After you have easy approval, which is at the site level, and that's relatively fast, 30 days or so. Just say approval from an ethics committee and then yes. the protocol, that's about exactly. it? That's about it. And then you go to the National Regulatory Agency in BIMA, and you give them the letter of approval from your ethics committee, and they will approve the trial in about 30 days. If you have all your papers, of course, all the documentation, uh, all the, I mean, the dossier package all completed. So it's actually, in my opinion, and this is the reason why we focus in Colombia, we've helped, I mean, uh, many, many companies from the U.S. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've heard about John Simpson from Avenger. He's a well-known figure in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, mm -hmm. We did a trial for him. We worked with Mitraline, Mitraspan, et cetera, many companies, uh, because of Colombia's regulatory approval process. This is, in my opinion, it's the fastest in, in Latin America. For medical devices, for pharmaceuticals is another story. That is longer. That's probably where you got that information from around because pharmaceuticals, yes, six to nine months, sometimes even a year, depending on the complexity of the protocol. But for medical devices, it's pretty straightforward because very few people are doing medical devices in Colombia, medical device trials, and the, the committee at the agency is, is pretty pretty relaxed in terms of time and everything. They don't have so much volume, so they're pretty efficient. Well, somehow that that's not a well-known fact. Actually, one of the reasons why I started writing, Graham, because yeah. very few people know about things in, in Colombia. And also, there's an interesting development happening in relation to commercialization of medical technology, which is the Pacific Alliance, which is a trade mm -hmm. block that is starting in 2011 with the most competitive economies in Latin America and the most forward-thinking countries, Mexico, Colombia, Peru, and Chile. And mm -hmm. they are going to have a single regulatory market for medical technologies. So that will make yeah. it easier, a lot easier for medical device companies to enter at least this block, which is 230 million people, the seventh largest economy in the world, so it's, it's pretty promising what's happening here. I see. You have to do a little bit more work with um, organizations like ASCRS, uh, AAO, uh, ESCRS, to sort of get that information out. That's actually why I started writing blog posts on our website, um, because I was getting always um, the same questions, and I started 
uh, writing to answer those questions. And when I, uh, an FAQ first, and then when I noticed that a question was coming up very frequently, I decided to start writing articles around that question to better answer the question in a more formal, structured way. And so far, I've written about 40-something articles. And the reason for my inclination to start writing RAMP is because I couldn't find much information online about Latin America, about clinical research, first in human, medical devices, clinical research, or commercialization of medical technologies. So... That's why medical device, I'm sorry, med device online, the, the publication I'm, I, I write for as a contributing guest writer, kind of got interested in publishing my articles because I'm the only one. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's the way I feel. Um, maybe one of the things uh, you need to put together is a, a meeting similar to ASCRS and ESCRS in Latin America, where all the famous surgeons come together and create their own meeting focused only on, like European meeting is focused on Europe, but there would be pretty large presence uh, from Asia because geographically they are closer. And uh, if you do similar one for Central and uh, Latin America, you, you may have, that may be the way to aggregate the interested parties to come together. Sure. Absolutely. Hmm. Good point. All right, Ram. Thank you so much. I have no words to <laughs> express my gratitude. It's been an enjoyable conversation. Uh, I am very uh, pleased to, to have met you over the phone, at least. <laughs> I truly look forward to keeping in touch. Uh, if there's anything I can do to help somehow with your current company or future ventures, feel free to reach out. <laughs> okay. Very good. All right, Ryan. Thank you so I much. I talking to you, too. Okay. Thank you. Likewise. Bye-bye. Yeah. Have a great day. Bye. Take care. Uh -huh. Bye.